0: You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Ephesians chapter 3 is where we are today. Ephesians chapter 3. We are studying the book of Ephesians chapter by chapter and verse by verse here on our Sunday mornings. And today we are going to be endeavoring to move all the way through chapter three. And if you are taking notes today, the title for this message is The Mystery of Christ. The Mystery of Christ. And uh, if you've been with us, you know that as we study any of the book of the Bible, that we like to have a good handle on it. And with the book of Ephesians, we know that it was the apostle Paul who wrote it to the church in Ephesus, all with the theme of seeing Jesus Christ and the church, Christ and his body. And as we are moving through the book of Ephesians, we've broken it up into three sections. Today, we will actually finish the first section, which sees the church sitting in Christ, which spans chapters one through three, where we see the church positionally in Christ in a blessed state as they're in relationship with him. But next week, as we start chapter four, we're going to start to see the church walking in Christ where all of the doctrine, all of the truth that Paul lays down in these first three chapters, well, he then shows the church how they are to live it out, how they're to walk it out in their life. And that will span chapters four through chapter six, verse nine. And then the last part of chapter six is also the last section of this book, which sees the church standing in Christ, where Paul hones in on the topic of spiritual warfare. On the reality that it is a reality in the life of the believer. And the believer needs to be aware of that and also aware of the fact that God equips his church to stand. As they take on the armor of God and are made aware of Jesus standing with them, well, Paul, he makes sure to cover that at length. And so will we as we reach that section. But as we come now to chapter three, the final chapter here in this first section, we see Paul continuing to engage the Ephesians on the topic of their sitting positionally in Jesus. And where chapter two took the reader back, if you will remember, back to the basics of what life looked like before Jesus and what it now looks like with Jesus. As we study chapter three today, we see Paul bringing the reader back to the presence and their present status of living in Jesus Christ where instead of revisiting the basics, today he's actually going to reveal something new to the church. Coming freshly off the topic of our study last week of seeing the church unified, both Gentiles and Jews, no longer separated, but unified together in Jesus Christ, as Paul continues now, he's going to reveal that that was the plan of the Lord all along. Paul, he will share, this was a mystery before. But it's now out in the open, and it's something that we're going to see Paul, again, explain, but then also pray that the church would grab a hold of and live according to as they walk with Jesus. And uh, as we are going to be taking all of chapter 3 today, it works well um, to not break it up. That's going to be what we attempt to do. And so since we're taking that all in one, we're going to just go ahead and jump into it and see what the text has to say. So we're going to read verses 1 through 7 today to get us started We'll read those verses, we will pray, and then we'll continue on. So, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, "'For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, "'if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, "'which was given to me for you, "'how that by revelation he may known to me the mystery, "'as I have briefly written already, "'by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ,' which in in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it now has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this day. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had, Lord, to come into your presence and to worship you, Lord, knowing that you invite us to that, knowing that, God, you desire that. You, you, you died, Jesus, so as to make a way for us to have access to you. We just Thank you so much for that, Lord. And I thank you for these that are here this morning and the opportunity that we've had to worship. And now, as we continue to worship by studying your word, Lord, we open up our hearts and minds, and we just ask that you would help us. God, as we look at this text here, this text that reveals your wisdom and your plan and God, how we are a part of that. Lord, I I pray that as we read, we would be blessed, but also too, we'd be challenged to live in light of it. That we would be challenged, Lord, to apply your word to our lives, not just read it and know it, but live it out as you call us. And Lord, we need your help with that as we do with understanding your word. So we ask for that now. We ask expectantly, knowing that God, you are faithful to supply, you're faithful to help us and to lead us. And so Lord, lead us now as we study your word. Help us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as Paul begins the third chapter of this letter talking about the mystery of Christ, the first thing that he wants to cover is the fact that this mystery, well, it has been revealed. And it does us well as we study to see what this mystery is. And before revealing the mystery to the reader, you notice how Paul, he addresses the reader. He really reintroduces himself and his position saying there that he is the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And what he's doing as he's writing there is he's reminding of the whole reason while he was in prison, why he was under house arrest in Rome because of his working and his ministering there to the Gentiles. You see, Paul was chosen by the Lord to be a minister of the gospel to the Gentile nations of the world. And if you've read the book of Acts, then you see this. You see this in Acts chapter 9, where previously Paul was Saul of Tarsus, who violently persecuted the church. In Acts chapter 9, as he's on his way to Damascus there to go and persecute the church, the Lord meets him. He meets him and knocks him to the ground and says there, hey, I am the Lord who you are persecuting, who you are fighting against. Stop doing that. I want you And we see Paul, he puts his faith in the Lord. and becomes that minister of the gospel that God intended for him to be as Jesus met him there on the Damascus roads. And as you read that story, we actually get insight into this being the plan of God as a man named Ananias is commissioned by the Lord to go and pray for Paul as Paul is waiting for him. We see that in Acts chapter nine and verse 15, as the Lord speaks there to Ananias, it says, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. See, Ananias, he was apprehensive to go to Paul because he knew who Paul was. But the Lord said, no, 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 go to him, pray for him, because I have a plan for him. And Paul, he fulfilled this call. As you read the book of Acts, as you look here at the letters that he wrote that are part of the Bible, we see that he fulfilled his call and his mission appropriately and obediently to the Lord's. And as he writes here, he says that they have heard of this being the case. He's like, you know who I am. You know that this was the call, that the strategy of God was for me to be used to the Gentiles. And as he says this, just kind of reintroducing himself, he also there calls to memory how he had previously revealed that the Lord had revealed to him something called the mystery. What does he say there? He assumes know, that, they, that he, they know what he's talking about. As he says there, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He, put that, he puts that in parentheses. It's this parenthetical thought as he's talking. And basically here's what Paul is saying. He says, you know who I am. You know what my mission is and what I'm about to expound on. I've already spoken of it to you, but let's go over it again. Let's get some more clarity. And clarity is definitely something good to get as we study the word of God. And clarity, when it comes to this phrase, the mystery, as Paul goes on to explain and expound on, is something it does us well to have a good grasp on as well. If you're taking notes, looking here at this word or this phrase, the mystery, what is in the Greek language, the word mysterion, it speaks there of a truth that is hidden from human knowledge. A truth that is hidden from human knowledge until it is revealed by God. You see, where our English word mystery invokes the idea of, you know, Sherlock Holmes or the boxcar children is what I read as mystery stories in elementary school and often brings up this idea of something dark or ominous or obscure or puzzling. Understand that the Greek word, this phrase here, the mystery, it doesn't pertain to that. Otherwise, it would paint God out to be a shady character, hiding something from humanity and just keeping it to himself. You know, just, ah, I've got this, and you don't, you poor sucker. So, ah, no, that's not the Lord's heart at all. What this rather speaks of is the Lord holding something back until the appropriate time. Holding something back until he is ready to reveal it to humanity and seeing his plan in action. Paul here speaks that this mystery, it is a truth that God totally intended to reveal It just needed to be at the proper time. And that's what Paul says about it in verse five, saying that it hasn't been revealed previously, but now it has been seen by the spirits. And so as we understand what the term the mystery means, we are ready to see what Paul says it is. And and it's very simple. We don't have to read into this and see it as a mystery, something to be confused about. Paul lays it out very simply in the text for us. There in verse six, he says, this mystery is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. It's very simple. It's very simple. This describes the mystery that Paul reveals what God has set up. It's that believing Jews and believing Gentiles in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are joined together into one body. They are joined together into one body. That is the body of Christ. That is the church. And this really looks back to last week, doesn't it? It looks back to what we studied last week, where Gentiles we saw are no longer afar off. They're no longer isolated outside of the promises of God, outside of the family of God, but rather they are now fellow heirs, Paul says, in all of the promises, and they are partakers of the Lord's plan, the promise of reconciliation and life with him through the gospel. Paul very simply says, hey, I'm a minister to the Gentiles. This mystery has been revealed to me and I've talked about it before, but let's dive into it. And then he lays it out very simply in verse six. But as you read the New Testament, we learn that Paul, he's not the only one who this mystery was revealed to. In fact, if you're taking notes, there's a couple of people or groups of people that did receive this. Peter is one of them. Peter, if you're taking notes, jot down Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. And I encourage you to read those later on today for for more context of this this study. Because what you have in those verses is the vision that Peter received as he was up on a rooftop before he went to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Gentile. And understand that as Peter is up on the rooftop, it says in the Bible, it's about midday. So it's lunchtime. And he's praying there. And the Bible says that he's hungry. And so what does the Lord do? He puts a whole lot of good-looking food in front of him. It says that the sheet came down, and upon it were all these different animals, both clean and unclean. And the Lord said to Peter there, hey, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, no way, Lord, I'm not going to eat bacon. He was out of his mind. He didn't know what he was saying. But as he said there that, the Lord took the sheet back up and then brought it back down and took it back up and brought it back down again. And the Lord said over and over again, Hey, rise, kill, and eat. Don't call unclean what I have called clean. And he wasn't just putting bacon and crawfish, praise the Lord, on the menu, but he was putting there the, the fact that the Gentiles, well, they were now invited into. They were to be openly preached to, openly shown the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter, he was to be an instrument in that. He was to be used specifically in the house of Cornelius, who at that same time had sent some people to Peter's house to come and take him to preach to them. And so Peter was a recipient of this vision, but also too, we see the disciples and those present at the ascension of Jesus Christ. They as well were given insight into this, even though there were not great details involved in it. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says there, Jesus speaking, but you speaking to those that were seeing it, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to, he says, the end of the earth. The apostles would know that Jerusalem, definitely they were to preach there. They were a little leery about the rest of Judea and definitely about Samaria. And of course they would not have the ends of the earth in mind, but yet Jesus said, hey, as the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you are empowered for mission and ministry well, this is the mission field that you are going to be moving on. This mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles as one body was kept a mystery until the finished work, until salvation through Jesus Christ could be realized. But once it was revealed, we see that through salvation was promised to the whole world. This mystery, this unity of the Jews and the Gentiles, it was out in the open. And Paul here, he is speaking that to the Ephesians. And we, we read that here and we have it made known to us as well. And we are a part of that as the church sitting here today. And so Paul, he reveals this mystery, having had it revealed to him. But next, what he does, as we pick back up in the verses, is he seeks to show and explain the purpose that God had behind it. Let's pick up in verse 8 and read together through verse 13. What well, Paul says to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, in whom we have a boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. You know, before we get into seeing this purpose of the mystery, I want us to key in and take note of the posture and the mindset that Paul continues on here. Notice, and this is not the first time that he has done it here, nor will it be the last. And throughout the New Testament, he does this. As he marvels here at the reality that God entrusted him to be a part of his mission. And this is something that Paul and we, if you've read the book of Acts, if you know the testimony of Paul, again, as one who hated the church, who persecuted it violently, we see here that Paul, knowing his past and how violently he persecuted the church, he realized that it was the grace of God in his life and that by nothing else that he was able to do what he was doing. He leaned heavily into the grace of God. He lived heavily into the love of God that called him to be a minister of the gospel, to serve him, to be saved at all, but then to serve him as one one included in God's mission. And it's this position and posture of marveling at the grace of God that drove much of Paul's life. And it should be, understand, something that drives our life as well. And though this isn't the main thrust of this text, I do think it's important to hone in on. The reality, it's important to remember what we've been saying over the past few weeks, as Paul says in in Ephesians 2, that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the love and grace of God extended to us in the finished work of Jesus Christ that saves us. There's nothing else that saves us. It is only that and our faith put in that. But even more than just salvation is also inclusivity into the mission of God. Where God, for whatever reason, decides that He wants to include us in getting the gospel out into the world, seeing disciples made. And God, understand, doesn't need us for that. He wants to use us because He loves us and desires to, and His glory is seen through it, but He doesn't need us. And Paul here understood that, and He wants to establish over and over again that it's the grace of God that looks at Him and says, I want you. I know you used to hate me. You hated my church. You hated the work that I was doing. But yet, I want to use you. And the same is true for us. That though we are all born sinners in this world, separated from God, enemies of God, is what the Bible says that we are. In Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to him. And in Jesus Christ, he desires to use us. And it is only, friends, by the grace of God that we are able to do so. And as we lean into that, as we walk in that mindset and in that posture, man, we realize who's in charge. We realize that it's the Lord's who's in charge. It's his plan. And we're all the more willing and ready to follow him in it. That's a good thing to remember, a good thing to keep in mind. It's his grace and it's his love that desires to save and desires to use us. Nothing else really brings us to that. It's just the Lord's. And it's Paul's posture that leads well into his explaining the purpose of the mystery. And I teach primarily from the New King James version of the Bible, but the New Living Translation really nails verses 10 and 11 to bring clarity to the purpose of the mystery. They'll be on the screen as it says there that God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was His, speaking of the Lord, His eternal plan, which He carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord's. You see, quite simply, it says that the purpose of the mystery was to display the wisdom of God, display the wisdom and the plan of God. The New King James Version says the manifold wisdom of God. And that word manifold or the manifold wisdom of God is something really cool to to get in our minds what it speaks of. That word manifold speaks of many colors, and when you think about the manifold wisdom of God coming forward and being revealed, it really has this idea of like a tapestry or of an embroidery hoop with a pretty picture in the middle, where from the backside, as these slides are going to show us from the backside, it looks a little confusing, a little ugly, quite honestly, but when then you flip it around, oh, it's beautiful. It's amazing. You don't really know what it looks like on the other, on the backside, but man, on the front side, it's really cool and this manifold wisdom of God being brought out, this is the idea here that Paul is speaking of. So too is the wisdom of God multicolored and manifold and revealed in the church, being built up of Jews and Gentiles both. And that's what Paul says here was the purpose of the mystery. But notice too, did you notice whom he said the wisdom of God was revealed to? It says there to the principalities and powers In the heavenly places. Again, we don't have to make this hard. What we need to do is just look at the plain reading of the text and see that this speaks of God's wisdom being on display in the church, being united to angels and to those dwelling with the Lord in heaven, to the heavenly hosts, principalities in the heavenly places. And there are some pastors and scholars, commentators who teach that the principalities and powers that they refer to worldly governments and worldly institutions, seeking to say that it's seeing God work and his wisdom working through his church to change the world government system. But the Bible is very clear. As you read it, we don't need to make it difficult. The Bible is very clear that it is not who God has in mind as the target audience with the revelation of this mystery but it was the angels and the spiritual beings that are present in the world and in heaven. Which honestly, and I'll be honest with you, I don't fully understand what all that means and entails and involves. I read it and I believe it and I don't want to make it hard. You don't need to make it too hard. It says that that is who the wisdom of God is made known to. Understand that his purpose, it doesn't mean, though I see it, I don't fully understand it, but I know this and you and I, we can draw application from this is the reality that our relationship with the Lord, our being saved, our walking with Jesus, our belonging to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ, man, that goes far beyond, and ministers to more than one audience or more than any audience that we could ever imagine. Our walking with Jesus, it shows, and it shows beyond what we could think. I mean, Paul here is saying that the manifold wisdom of God In the church being united here is shown to angels, angels that are in the presence of God always, that are living and seeking to serve the Lord, working as messengers and emissaries of God always. They are learning in the church being united. And if angels are learning about the character and the plan of God through the church being unified in Jesus, think about this. If we don't have any idea just how far our being the church goes and what audience it shows, man, just think about that, on a worldly worldly plane. How much more the church united, you and I being the church united, how that could speak out to the world around us, starting in your home. You know, you being a part of the church, walking in the grace and the finished work of Jesus Christ, how that can affect your home life or your work life. You as you're at work and you're living according to how God has called you to live differently, holy, set apart as he is. Or at your school, perhaps if you are in school or you're a teacher at school. Or what about at your places of socializing and play, wherever you find yourself, you know, carrying out your hobbies and working out in your social life. Or right here in the church, right here in the church, as we together are united in Jesus Christ from all different walks of life. Some of us on paper should never be friends. Let's just be very real. Some of us should never know one another or share life with one another. But in Jesus Christ, we are united reunited through the blood of Jesus Christ, and are made one, a family in God's. And this application, it it is real and should be taken seriously for us, friends, that the truth of the church united, unified, Jew and Gentile, uh, you could even take it further into black and white, rich and poor, or any other whatever you may say, this and that. For many walks of life, the church is made and the church unified in Jesus Christ, that speaks to audiences that are beyond our wildest dreams. As we walk with the Lord and live with him as the church is called to do, man, that speaks. That speaks and shows this world that you know what? You don't have to just be angry at each other all the time. Through Jesus Christ, he covers that sin and helps you to walk through it. He covers the sin and he covers the contention and the flesh that this world that we in this world live in And what does he do? He helps us to navigate it, to die to self, to love sacrificially, and to walk with him and to walk with one another, serving him and showing him to the world around us. We as a part of the church, unified though diverse, we show the wisdom of God. We show the wisdom and the working of God, the power of God to be able to unite a bunch of people like us Being able to bring us all into one place and one people as the church. And man, if we walked forward united in this world, the world would take notice. And the world does take notice. And the church, it should be united so it continues to. There's no limits to who will see it if the church will walk in the unity that we're saved into. And as Paul is sharing these things, as he shares the mystery, he reveals it. He shares the purpose, that is to show the wisdom of God. Well, he then ends this section and so ends this, ends this chapter and so this first section of Ephesians by doing something he's already done, and that is praying for the church there in Ephesus. And we're going to pick back up in verse 12 so as to get a running start, but what we're going to see is Paul revealing to, him, revealing to the church what he is praying for them, that they as the church would know this information, but then more appropriately, they would live in light of it. Let's pick up in verse 12, where he says there, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose hearts at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with with might through his spirit in the inner man. who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. As we read these verses, there are three things that we see Paul specifically praying for the church as they live out their lives, having had this this mystery and the purpose of this mystery revealed to them. And all of these things, as we read them, they have to deal with the church receiving from the Lord. We need to notice that Paul, never as he prays, prays that the church will find it within themselves, that they'll find within themselves and live out from themselves the plan of God. No, all of these he prays that they would draw from the Lord. And the first thing that he prays is that they would be strengthened by the Lord's. He prays that they would have strength from the Lord. He says there that that the Lord would grant according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirits in the inner man. You see, as the church in Ephesus was made more aware of their living in relationship with Jesus Christ and being something that impact not just their lives, but the whole of the world around them and even the heavenly places, Paul appropriate uh, prays that the Lord would strengthen his church and that they would live in this. And this really looks forward to something that we're gonna talk about in the coming weeks. There in chapter four next week, as we start the application portion, or the walking in Christ. Paul knew that the church, knowing all that they knew now, that they would need strength. That they needed strength from the Lord to walk in the purpose and the plan of God. And that strength, again, it wasn't from them. It wasn't their strength. It wasn't the strength of the people there in the seats in Ephesus. It wasn't the people's strength as they walked in their normal everyday life. No, it was the strength of the Lord that they needed. The the church there, they needed strength that was from the riches of God's glory. They needed strength that God offers in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same strength, friends, that Paul prayed for the church there in Ephesus He would pray the same thing for our church. He would pray the same thing for the church today. And the church today should pray for that same strength as well. Understand, we need to pray that we would draw strength from the riches of the Lord, who has all the strength. Understand that God in his character and his nature, he is what is called omnipotent. That means he's all powerful. He is also immutable, which means that his power will never diminish. It means that God's nature, he can never change. And if he was able to change, he wouldn't be the Lord. And so we look to him and look to his character as outlined in scripture, and we see that he is all powerful and he's immutable, meaning he's always going to have all the strength. It's never going to diminish. And what's more is he offers that to us. He offers to lead us in that strength and to fill us with that strength. And he offers that strength to us by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in every believer something we've talked about extensively. We talked about it as we studied 1 John last year, and we talked about it already in Ephesians. We're gonna talk about it a whole lot, especially as we get to Ephesians chapter five of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not just there sealing every believer and wanting to lead every believer, but also wanting to empower every believer. That the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, dwells within every person that is saved and in Jesus Christ and wants to lead and help and empower them for mission to live out the life that Paul is going to talk about, that Jesus calls us to. And Paul here prays that the church, that they would be strengthened in that. And maybe that's a word for you today. And it's a word for you today to see Paul praying for the church there in Ephesus, to not walk in their own strength, to not pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but to walk forward in the strength of Jesus Christ to stop trying in their own flesh and their own well in their own you know finding their own wherewithal within themselves but looking to Jesus looking to his word looking to the holy spirit who is dwelling within each one of us to lead and to empower them for mission and instead of drawing from oneself drawing from him leaning into him and trusting him more than yourself because you and myself we will fail the lord he won't and so paul prays here for strength but notice he also prays for growth in love. He goes on to say, you being rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. You'll remember in chapter one, if you were with us, that as Paul prayed for the church, he prayed and he revealed what he was praying for them, but he revealed first that he was thankful that he was thankful for their faith, their active, practical faith in Jesus, and also, too, of their love for all the saints. Like, he knew that the Ephesian church, that they were walking with Jesus, they had faith in the Lord, and he knew, too, that they were a loving church. And Paul acknowledges this. He's saying that, hey, you have been rooted, and you are rooted and grounded in love. He says, I know that you are a loving church. You're walking in the call of Jesus to be one that loves so that all may see that you are my disciples. You have the foundation, but he says, I'm praying that you're just gonna continue to grow more and more into that knowledge of, of God's love. Paul prays that they would go beyond their current standing in love. They would not be satisfied, would not think that they arrived. Like, I've got salvation, I know God loves me, I want to walk through singing Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, I've got that down. He says, don't be satisfied with that, but grow, he says. What does he say there? He says, in the width and the length and the depth and height of Jesus' love for them. He says, I'm praying that though you have a solid foundation, that you would just grow more and more, that you would grow in Jesus Christ and grow in that love. And as the church there in Ephesus, Paul prayed for that. And as us, as the church on mission, called to fulfill the promises of God and the the purposes of God, that is something that is needed in our lives as well. It's needed in our lives that, and Paul would pray that we would be firmly firmly rooted and grounded in the love of God, that we would have a foundation, but that we then too would just grow that we would grow to know more and more. We would not be satisfied with the foundation of God's love, but seek to just grow more and more in it, to learn more of what it looks like day by day. And then, then to let it impact us. Then to let it impact the way that we live with the Lord, the way that we approach him every single day, knowing that he loves us, knowing that we can come to him every day as we open up our Bibles in the morning. And we're sitting there and we're like, Lord, speak to me. And we can know that as we ask for that, he loves us enough to do so to speak to us through his word, to speak to us as new creations in Jesus Christ, to know things like he is calling us to transform, to look more like him, that he's calling us to live life on mission with him. That there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, that we see us as our old self, but as new and wanting to lead us in new life. That is the love of God that Paul here is praying that we would grow in and that we would lean and learn more of that in the Lord with our relationship with Him, but then also, too, that that would span out to our relationship with one another. Again, Paul thanked the Lord that there in chapter one, they had a love for all the saints. He knew that they loved God, but he wanted them to love one another more and more, and he thanked the Lord that they did. And so, too, should we pray that we would be a loving people who loved one another with that agape love of God, that selfless, sacrificial love that loves one another, that serves one another, that forgives one another, that seeks to serve each other here and out in the worlds, that seeks to show and disciple and build one another up. Paul here prays that for the church in Ephesus as he reveals to them the plan of God that they would walk forward and as he's going to continue to do. And so he prays for the love of Christ to be more present in their lives along with the strength. But then the last thing he prays is very simple, that they would just be full of the Lord. He prays for a fullness he says there that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, Paul here, what he wanted is the church to have everything. And he meant everything that they could possibly have that was available to them in the Lord's. And like Peter, and you'll remember, we we referenced this verse a couple weeks back, maybe last week as well. I repeat myself a lot. That in 2 Peter one three we know that he the Lord has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that is Jesus Christ who has called us by glory and virtue his glory his virtue calls us and we know and have access to all things through him and Paul knew that as well as knew as well as Peter that as we were seeking to fill ourselves more and more with the Lord that we would be full of the fullness of God that that would come in our relationship with Jesus Christ because. In Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. That's what we see Paul saying in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, for in him, that is Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you, he goes on, are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Simply in Jesus Christ is everything. And us as Christians in Jesus Christ, we have access to everything. And Paul here prays that the church would just be full, filled with the fullness of God. Just as they thought that they were full, they would just continue to know that God had more for them and wanted to give that to them. And Paul prayed for the church here to be filled with all the fullness of God. And we, in turn, can pray the same thing, should pray the same thing. We should pray that more and more every day we would seek to fill ourselves with Him, Fill ourselves with Him over everything else that we could fill ourselves with. And let's be very real, there is much that's offered to us to fill ourselves with, to fill our time and our minds and our eyes and our ears and everything, our hands with. There is so much that this world offers, so much that our flesh desires. But I pray that we would, as Paul would pray, we should pray that we would be filled with all the fullness of the Lord, what He has for us, shown to us in His Word. What he has for us is he wants to lead us out of the old life of sin and old life of being separated from God into a new life, into the new life that he has for us and realizing that is a full life filled with him. And Paul prays these things that we, and we should pray that we would be filled and we would fill our lives every day, every part of it, not just the Sunday part of it, but every part of it with the Lord, every part we would seek to have it filled with all that he has for us. And Paul here, as he reveals these things, as he reveals the mystery, and as he reveals here the purpose, and then he reveals what he's praying for the church, how they would live in light of all that he just said. And as he gets ready to gear up and go into chapter four, chapter four, which again is going to start this walking, this application point, and on into chapter six, where he's going to speak there of the warfare that every believer is engaged in. He prays again that they would be strengthened that they would be growing in love and filled with all that God had for them. And to know that as he prayed for them, he knew that God heard him. He knew that God heard him and was ready to lead their lives should they surrender to that, lean into that, desire that as well. And my friends, the same thing is true for us today, sitting some 2,000-ish years away from that. The reality is that the Lord loves us and desires to reveal to us this in His Word, that He has called us to be united with Him and united with one another. And that speaks of the wisdom and the plan of God and spreads out that message far beyond what we could ever imagine. And we should see that and realize that's only by the grace of God and the salvation of Jesus Christ that He offers that makes that possible. And that's amazing. But as we walk this out, friends, the same thing that Paul prays, so too should we pray the same for us, so that we are able to walk out. So that we would walk in the strength of the Lord's, in the power of His might, and by the empowering the indwelling of His Spirit, not our own, not our own flesh, not our own, our own, you know, might and our own ideas, but His, that we would grow in the knowledge of His love, that we would grow to learn more and more just how God loves us, of how He wants to lead our lives every single day in His love, and that we together would seek to be filled with all the fullness of God, all that He has for us, we would never be satisfied. We just desire more and more. Though he is more than enough to satisfy our lives, and I believe that he poured everything into us, we would just explode. That's quite honestly what I think would happen. But he loves us so much and has so much to give us. And we should desire that. And in a moment as we end, I'm gonna pray these things. I wanna pray for us as the church. And we as the church should be praying these things often. You can take this prayer of Paul right here. If you are looking for something to pray, you don't know how to pray, hey, pray scripture read your Bible and pray. And this right here, what Paul asked for, ask for that from the Lord, ask boldly for that from the Lord, because he wants to give it to you. And in a moment, we're going to pray this, but before we do, before we do, as Paul here is again speaking of the plan of God to save, the plan of God to unify, it gives us an opportunity as the church to look today and as individuals to see, hey, are we a part of that plan? Are you today walking in the plan of God, having applied that plan of salvation to your life, the plan of salvation to send Jesus Christ to this earth, to live a perfect life, and then to go to the cross and die a death that we should have died because of our sin. He was not, he had no sin, we had the sin, but yet he took his sin upon us, died so that we could be saved. And as he was dead, he was buried and resurrected, and it's through that finished work that we have access to the Lord's, We have access to salvation. And what's more is we have access into this plan that we're seeing here to be a part of the plan of God, to be reconciled to him and unified with so many people around this world who have done the same thing. And so before we pray and before we seek to pray and glorify the Lord, that's what Paul ends with is by glorifying the Lord there in verses 20 and 21. Before we pray and do that, ask yourself today if you are a part of this plan, And if you're not a part of this plan, understand that Jesus Christ, he is there ready to save today. You are here today, alive, you're breathing, your heart's beating. And as such, the Lord is offering you salvation right now through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it is by grace through faith, your faith put in that finished work. That is what saves. And in a moment, as we sing, as we worship, there's gonna be men and women around the room here at the altar in the back corners who would love to talk to you about what that looks like. And it's not some formula, it's not some hard thing, it is simply just crying out to the Lord and taking that finished work upon yourself, admitting that you desire to be saved, to have your life changed, made new, and repenting of an old life and walking forward with Him. And the Lord is so faithful and ready to save if you will put your faith in that work. And today that is something you can do, and I encourage you to do so. But today for us as the church, as believers, I want to end today by praying these same things. And I want to encourage you, these same things that Paul here prays for the church, that we would be praying these things often. That tonight as you're going to bed or throughout the day even, pray these things. Pray that you would be strengthened by the Lord, growing in his love, filled with all the fullness of God. And then tomorrow, do the same thing. Make this a daily habit of just asking the Lord for more of him and what he has for you and see how your life moves forward. See how the Lord wants to lead you as you lean into Him, into what He has for you, because He has so much for you. And we're going to see that as we read through the rest of this, rest of this book and study all of what that can look like, but being strengthened, knowing Him more, and walking in that love, man, that just readies us for all that He has.